I feel like crisis is built into our DNA. I look around at all the people I've ever had a conversation with and I just, while yes, we all have a unique upbringing, unique nurturing, unique nature, we are designed to experience crisis as a dedicated pivot point in life. We can gain so much from it. I feel like it's a hardwired thing. I think we're meant to experience it. Welcome to the Self Love Podcast, the show that helps crack open your heart and inspire a deeper regard for your own well-being and happiness. Proudly brought to you by 28 Essentials, here's your host, the gorgeous Kim Morrison. Welcome to the Self Love Podcast. This week, I have a beautiful friend to share with you, gorgeous Sean Clayton. <laughs> now, in saying that, I realize I call her Sean, but everyone else calls her Shan, but I think that's just the Kiwi thing in me. So you'll probably hear me refer to her as Sean. But this beautiful soul is a highly skilled therapist and mindset coach who specializes in supporting clients who are motivated to overcome the emotional root causes of persistent stress, anxiety, and depression, and to learn how to express themselves fully, develop self-confidence, self-acceptance, and self-love, and start living with enthusiasm and drive once again. She holds qualifications in counseling, mindfulness therapies, NLP coaching, timeline therapy, and advanced hypnosis. She has a wealth of life experience to draw from, including working in higher education, project management, and hospitality. She is the driving force behind Think Coaching and Hypnotherapy, an online hub for behavioral transformation, which she operates alongside her lifelong friend and colleague, Leanne Davis. Together, they offer quality transformation programs for individuals and couples, as well as their fortnightly Think Night In, an evening group learning and coaching space offered free of charge to anyone wishing to put their toe in the water. Shan is a passionate mental health and well-being advocate who believes personal growth and transformation are possible, even in the face of low self-worth, uncertainty, procrastination, and self-sabotaging habits. She has overcome many challenges, including chronic depression, generalized anxiety disorder, and alcohol and drug misuse. She knows well the journey involved in conquering fears and converting inner demons into inner strengths. The key to living well, Shan says, is to give ourselves permission to express all that we are, even the less dazzling parts of ourselves, for no one else's sake but our own, because it's through the fullest expression of who we are that we resolve any need to suppress, which is what leads to emotional and mental upset in the first place. I cannot wait to share this interview with you. You will hear Shan share herself openly and wholeheartedly. She is a woman on a mission. She is also someone who is completely honest and open about her own challenges and her own strengths. I cannot wait to hear your feedback and comments, which of course you can leave on her pages, which are all in the show notes, but also you can go to Kim Morrison 28. That's on Instagram. You can go to Kim Morrison training on Facebook, or you can go to the wellnesscouch.com forward slash self-love podcast. Cannot wait to hear your thoughts and comments on this particular interview. And please make sure you reach out to the gorgeous Shan so that you too can live a life of absolutely owning the fact 
that you were born to express your full self. Take care. Be kind. As you know, part of being on the self-love podcast is my desire, my love, and my absolute dream of interviewing people I love. The gorgeous Sean Clayton, welcome to the self-love podcast. Thank you, Kimmy. It's so lovely to be here finally. I know we have talked about doing this for quite some time. And what I truly love is the fact that we met with our mutual love of personal growth and development, our absolutely love to dive deep into big conversations. But before we dive deeper here and now, perhaps you could just give us a brief background as to where you're from. What were your upbringing like? Who are you? Oh, who am I? Good question. Um, Well, I'm 43. I grew up in Canberra of all places. So a lot of people are surprised when they hear that. Um, it was a, it was a, I had a good upbringing. I was raised by a traditional Australian family. We really celebrated the Australian part of us and, you know, backyard Barbies and, you know, freshly cut lawn, you know, that smell, um, hanging out in the garage with grandpa, doing all sorts of things, fishing, rabbiting, all the things that we did with kids. Um, yeah, we moved to North Queensland, which is where I am now when I was, um, 14 or 15, um, it was a huge shift. So, but I got to experience sort of growing up in a Southern place and, and also finishing my teenage years and moving into adulthood in North Queensland, which was huge cultural change, but also very freeing. Um, what else is the story? I worked in corporate for about 20 to 25 years. Um, I worked in the higher education sector. So I wasn't a professor or a mad scientist, but I worked with plenty of them and I supported them doing many amazing things. Um, yeah, right into, I'm an absolute nut for personal development. Um, yeah, I've, I've done lots of very different things as well. Like we, my husband and I ran a pub for two years in North Queensland. So there's been a lot of, um, variation, lots of exploration, lots of doing, you know, things on a bit of a whim or a bit of a dare just to see if we can do it. Um, lots of enjoyment, lots of laughs, you know, it's been a pretty colorful life so far. Well, I think that's probably why when we both set eyes on each other, we just had that connection where you feel like you've met a soul sister, someone that you've known for a long time and know that you'll know for a long time to come. And there was just this beautiful familiarity that we had. And I'd just love you to explain a little bit your love of personal growth and development, your absolute deep dive. I love our conversations. It'll be interesting to see where we go today, but I really do appreciate and value your desire to learn more. But you and I both know that our desire to deep dive and learn more about ourselves often can come from a place of pain or inquiry because of a transitional thing or something that's moved us to to either get away from the pain or to find out why we have pain. Is that fear of you? And if so, could you explain to us how that pathway began for you? And when did you really get the insight to know you needed to know more? Um. Just listening to what you're just saying, yes, for us it definitely was a, a love at first sight thing. I think that was cool meeting you in that space. For me, I recognised that uh, there was no one coming to save me when I hit rock bottom in my life and that was uh, around about the age of 33, 34 and the insight occurred to me at that point but you know there was obviously a really big lead up to me scaling down into the negativity pit of my life um so the the 
I think that was when I really recognised that I had to make a change and I had to be the one who took control and took responsibility. Up until then, it kind of hadn't really hit me that it was something I was going to have to do. So I've been in the game now, so, you know, personal development, self-growth, you know, all those sorts of things, insights, going within, learning who I really am and who I want to be for, you know, a good, you know, nine to 10 years now. But up until I sort of hit that point in my life, I was just a rolling train down the track that was kind of out of control. So there was a lot, you know, there was a lot of, um, there on, so how would I describe it to the outside world? I was fully polished. I had everything together and I was a high achiever and I was rocking it. I was the person that you went off to late lunches with on a Friday. Cause I could, you know, we could bag an extra half hour out of the work day and, you know, go back to work half pissed on the inside though. The person that they didn't know, um, was actually someone who lived with chronic depression and anxiety for, probably most, most of my life. I can remember right back to teenage years when I first kind of recognized that what I was feeling was depression um, and dread at what was happening in my life, things like that. So yeah, it's, um, it took me 20 years to get to the bottom of the pit and it's taken me 10 years to crawl back out of it, to put it simply. Mm. And that is a really interesting point that you make there because so many of us, I mean, I know you're the same as me. I'm yet to meet anyone that could honestly say they've had the perfect life, that nothing's ever been a struggle, that everything's gone well, they're fully rich, they're fully in love, they're fully perfect, healthy, all of these things. But we also know that these challenges or these reminders or these little bumps or big big bumps that we get in life are an opportunity to actually observe, inquire, get curious. What was the turning point for you? I know you say you hit rock bottom, but what would you describe as the turning point where you knew you had to do this for you rather than someone else fix it for you? Uh, I think I'd recognised somehow rather I'd become aware that I was contributing to the problem. And and that just comes through simple things, sharing how I felt with friends, calling friends regularly, crying on the phone. After that happened so many times, I knew that the common denominator here was me. So it, it was just a gradual re-awareness, if you want to call it that, that where I was, I was aware of how bad I was feeling and then I was be- beginning to become aware of how I was reinforcing that pattern or or how how many times had I had the same conversation over and over but not made any changes? How many times had I rung my friends bitching about how bad my life was but not actually doing anything about it? So the, the turning point um, perhaps came at the crisis point but in the lead up to that I knew that I was definitely sounding like a person who was miserable and not doing anything about it. Well, therein lies the thing. I've heard many comments, and I don't know if this is the exact quote, but, you know, you you can't blame your programming as a child, but you can take responsibility as an adult to unprogram or reprogram it. Mm. But so many people live their life as, as if that is their life, as if that is all there is. Mm. So those little reminders or pushings or then you finally hitting crisis point Do you think we all need to hit a crisis point for that awakening or do you think 
with hindsight, and I know everything is perfect, but is there a way of getting there before crisis? I feel like crisis is built into our DNA. I look around at all the people I've ever had a conversation with, and I just, while, yes, we all have a unique upbringing, unique nurturing, unique nature, we are designed to experience crisis as a dedicated pivot point in life. We can gain so much from it. I feel like it's a hardwired thing. I think we're meant to experience it so that we can respond. Yeah. yeah, and I think it's usually in those crisis points that we get the shake-up or the, the wake-up to actually yeah. start to do something about it. So you say you hit rock bottom. You got to that point. You knew you were going to have to do something about it. What were the first steps you took? Uh, I think looking back, I was probably, I felt like I was wearing a blindfold, so I probably I couldn't even really tell you what the first steps were. All I know is that over time I was um, giving in to it. I, I knew I needed to stop fighting myself and so to give in to it seemed to be the only logical way forward was just to accept that this is what's happening. If I try to fight it, try to judge myself or actually lay any more criticism on myself, that's only repeating the past. So because I, I kind of did, I went home and I laid on the couch for months. I quit my job. There was all sorts of things happening. And I went home and I just stopped. And I think it was the stopping that actually gave me the space to really decide which way I wanted to take it. And like we were, I'm talking about some pretty, like there were some big steps to be taken, but I knew that I just needed to do one day at a time. And I had to give in to the, the, the perfectionist in me had to give in to that as well and also go, okay, this is a day at a time thing. I'm not going to be able to take monumental leaps forward here. Do you think that's a fair assumption for all of us? I mean, I don't know anybody that one day is at crisis point and the next day is amazing. Like this is a time for self-exploration and to get really curious about ourselves. The thing that you said there that captured me was realising if I kept doing it, I was just going to get the same result. I was going to keep being the same way. So you had to do something different. Many people turn to drugs, alcohol, sex, other addictions, food, all sorts of things. Is that part of the human makeup as well, in your opinion, and with your experience now with what you do? Yeah, I think we go for the for the quick fix. I think the quick fix is something that we all reach for if we're not if if, if we're unsure about how to move forward, or we're not sure how we're going to do it, or we're just plain terrified. The quick fix is a way out. I was doing the quick fix for many years and I did the quick fix while I was sitting on the couch wallowing in my own <laughs> pool of stuff. You know, that drugs and alcohol were certainly part of that ride. Yeah. And I find that really ultimately a therapist said to me many years ago, you can take the drugs, you can use the medications, you can drink alcohol, but at some point you're going to have to feel it to heal it. And I think that's a mask and sometimes a bridge for many people. And I totally get it. But that beautiful aha, that awakening, that purifying, for want of a better word, also takes a lot of practice. And it's something that I admire in anyone that chooses to go down the pathway of self-exploration, coaching, mentoring, looking within. For you personally, was that scary? knowing that we either avoid pain or want to go towards pleasure, but sometimes to face that pain, to face that, is that scary for most people in your opinion? 
I think so. I think most people are scared of looking inwards. They're not, they're terrified of the monster that lurks in the shadows. Um, and I remind many of my clients, there's, if you just shone the light in there, you'd recognize that there's no monster. It's only a part of you and you're not that scary. It's something that I say to so many people, that monster that you think is in there is only part of you. Yeah. Well, one of our funny conversations that you and I have often, and one of your favorite lines is I'm having a parts party. Yes. (laughs) And that means there is lots of different parts of us, right? Like we know there's a part of us that can show up and be the best version of ourselves. Even if we're not feeling it, we can put a mask on. We know there's a part of us that challenges us. There's a part of us that may not have confidence. There's a part of us that is a bit of a party girl. There's a part of us, like there's so many different parts. Could you explain to us your understanding of what that part and the parts party means <laughs> parts party was turned by a friend of mine Carla Sherwood who um, is leading um, complex trauma uh, teaching and education um, and support for people here in Australia she she's doing really well which which she termed that because it's part of here we go part parts gonna pop up a lot it's it kind of stems from the work of um, or the study called internal family systems where they talk about um, the human personality kind of if we could just see ourselves almost like we have little sub-personalities that are doing their operating. Um, this doesn't refer to, you know, split personality or anything like that. It's just referring to the different roles the different parts of us play. And so as an example of that, um, I love the parts that I have some of them turn up to do the hard work and can be quite um, masculine in energy. Other parts are incredibly nurturing and um, my behaviour might change depending on which energy I'm in. But I, we do talk about, Carla and I talk about parts a lot because, one, it brings a lot of humour to observing ourselves run, sometimes running around in circles and acting insane. Um, it, we the humor of it all is that there can be a part running around on the inside that's just having a big spaz for you know because it just needs to express itself or you know um what I understand about it in myself is all through my life if I look back now I can recognize when I was playing the part of say for example corporate Shan corporate Shan has a very systematic way of going about things she knows how to get shit done she sees ahead of time what needs to happen she plans she's strategic um she's very matter of fact and she knows how to lead a team and really achieve great things so that's one of my parts another part of me is you know the rock and roller the you know the motorbike chick the chick who can handle a really good conversation on friday night down at the pub um, she likes to get her party on in the boot scoot and wobblies up a bit. And, um, yeah, she's the, she's the one who likes to head out back and, you know, camp and do all sorts of crazy fun stuff. And then there's plenty of other, you know, there's a, there's a part of me that's the joker and the magician. And she likes to prance around making sure everyone's laughing and she likes to make light of a lot of things. And, you know, there's an inner wise woman. So I think probably a lot of people could relate and, it doesn't mean to say that we're mentally challenged or there's anything going on or we have any mental health problems. It's just we all have parts. We all have parts of us that play a role that keep things going when the other parts might be exhausted forever or they've, you know, or they've checked out or anything like that. Um, when we when I term it a, when we call it a parts party, it's 
sometimes because there's a lot of parts playing out at once. <laughs> that's when things start to feel a little bit manic. <laughs> but, yeah, that's pretty much it in a nutshell where we've kind of gone, all right, there's different parts of us. Sometimes the sometimes when we're really feeling it, it can be because or, if we're, you know, sitting in confusion or internal conflict, that tends to be when we're experiencing a parts party what I'm referring to as a parts party. There can be multiple parts that want to play out at once, but what it does for us is because they're kind of heading in different directions or they want different things, it's causing an internal conflict, which can actually derail a lot of people when they're sitting in that confusion. So in a nutshell, in a roundabout long way of describing it all, um, I think the importance of, of recognising parts of me was so that I could learn who I was even more by recognising the roles that I play within my own life and the parts of me that come forward when I need them to. Um, yeah. Do you, do you feel through that work, I mean, all of the work that we've learned and all of the stuff that you've done, many, many years of, of growth, I get the feeling sometimes people can use it as a weapon as opposed to a tool. So I've heard people say, well, that's me, like it or leave it. But there's that kind of part of owning those parts of you that may be having a spaz attack or maybe, mm. uh, you know, not being the best version of yourself necessarily uh, as far as the greater good for all. So do you, where do you think the responsibility comes into owning those parts? Understanding ourselves does not give us a right to project onto others. That's all there is to it. So if we work to understand what it is that we really want for, for in our life, regardless of how we were brought up or what we feel obliged to do, if we choose to go inwards and decide how we want to design the rest of our lives to experience greater fulfilment and, and just to be here and experience the joy of fully being who we are, that's great. Go for it. The moment that we attempt to change anyone else or or try to convince someone else that we have found an answer, et cetera, that's when we've gone too far, I think. Yeah. I think it's a great point because many of us do courses and learn things or listen to a new book or a new podcast or something and we're like, we're like, it's utopia, euphoria. And then we become the evangelists and we want everyone else to see our point of view or what we think it should be, could be, or would be. Yeah. A part of the work that you and I have done a lot on is is actually just owning our stuff and, and accepting no one else really wants to be told what to do or how to do it. And we're yeah. the same. So yeah. how would you say you've managed that as you've grown and evolved, seeing parts of you that maybe don't even exist in you anymore? Or if they do, they they just don't get the attention or the 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 amount of energy that maybe you used to give them. How have you managed that? The hard way. <laughs> I thought you how would else say that. Do we do it? <laughs> Everything's been done the hard way. Yeah. Look, I'm a big believer in first of all, teach, don't preach. So just going back to one thing that you just said then, Kim, one of my big philosophies now learned the hard way is teach, don't preach. So the moment that we become a preacher, when we're trying to tell everyone else what to do, how to do it, what we've discovered, that's, you know, that's kind of, that's going to rub people up the wrong way. But if they come to us because they can see that we've moved through some amazing stuff and we've learned a lot and they're asking for support, then yes, teach by all means. Um, the other thing is I really have spent the last few years intensively sitting with myself, all of it, 
the whole kit and caboodle, the whole, you know, the darkness and the things that I don't necessarily like about myself as well as the good stuff and learning also to really sit with that. So the way that I have managed the uh, getting to know process of all the different parts of me and letting them express themselves and, and tuning in is by giving each of them the time that they deserve. They wouldn't be here if there wasn't a purpose for them. Uh, they wouldn't be, you know, the parts of myself are here for a reason. If they have developed a little personality of their own or I've given them a personality, that's because they're playing a key role in my life at the moment. So, but, you know, navigating the darkness of the waters and, 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 you know, the sunshine on top, that's not an easy process, but I've done it through giving it the time that it deserves and being okay with sitting and just experiencing whatever's coming up, not judging it as a scary thing. That's a really powerful point because every single one of us, believe it or not, those of you listening, has a dark side. You you can't have a bright, shiny, amazing side without that. And one of our favorite lines is, is that all humans have all traits. Yep. So how would you support someone who perhaps is just starting this journey of welcoming their dark side or at least allowing the exploration of that dark side or noticing other people in their life also have a dark side and it's their journey as well. What would be your advice to that person? Uh, accept that we are born with this. Something that I say to all my clients is we're born, each of us carries this uh, almost like a, a buffet. Let's face it, we're all born and then there's a buffet somehow for everyone. And in that buffet, there is every particular aspect of possible humanness that's there. We're all born with them. And over time, we either suppress some of them, turn them off or express them or try to hide some. Others we let loose into the world. But they're all there. We all have them. It's part of our human makeup. It's part of what makes us human. So if we don't allow ourselves to fully express what's on that tray or on that buffet, we're cutting, we're kind of, you know, cutting off our nose despite our face really because the, it all has a purpose. Even the darkness, it has a purpose to show us where the light is or to keep us focused on the things we want to focus on. The light has a purpose. It's also there to balance out the times when it's dark. So if we have the whole spectrum of things happening all at once and we, we allow it to happen all at once, there is a strength in that because we're not trying to stifle any part of us. Because we all know that if we try to stifle a part of us, eventually it's going to get the better of us. It's going to grow into that monster that we think we've got in the shadow and it's going to become something that haunts us until we face it. But if we just allow all of this to play out all the time, it doesn't mean to say we're running down the road and we're insulting people or being too big for our boots or criticising or anything like that. It just simply means that we're accepting all of ourselves and all of our capacity to do any of that if we choose to. It all just comes down to what we want to choose for ourselves. I love it so much. You know, in this day and age, and you've done a lot of work with trauma, there seems to be a heck of a lot of depression, anxiety. And of course, given the last few years, there's been a lot of fear and so many people's lives disrupted and challenged and changed and everyone's had to pivot and find their way through this. But in your experience with depression and anxiety, something that you yourself have lived with, Mm-hmm. what is your thoughts around that? Are the numbers rising? Is it because we're not talking? Is it about getting the right support? What What is your thoughts around depression and anxiety? I think it's always been part of a human experience. So I don't, it's not a new thing. This has been happening for eons. 
Um, are we more aware of it now? Yes, there's a lot more information more quickly being generated and more quickly being dispersed and, and distributed. So we're more aware now because we have access to more and more um, sources of information. Um, I would also, though, suggest just from my own musings and my own ponderings in my own mind, we, I do believe and that there can be a collective thing here that might be influencing, you know, if the collective is feeling down, then it's kind of a bit hard to keep yourself a little bit higher up out of that if you're, you know, if, if the collective is kind of, if, it, if the whole tribe's feeling down, then it's, you know, it's kind of makes sense then that everyone's going to experience that. Feel like everyone's feeling really down and run down now though, but that's reflecting the things that just aren't working. Is it that we're more aware of what doesn't work for us now? Or, you know, so I don't know, is it just that we're more aware, we're hearing more about it? Or are we moving into a place now where after 20-odd, 30, 40 years, how long has it been since sort of self-development really became a thing? Are we just more and more aware now of, of the rising capacity that we all have individually and collectively to make a change? And are we just coming up against our own limitations as a society and as individuals? Is that's what is that what's causing the constriction or the feeling of compression here. So I don't know. For me, I just I explore all of it from every angle and I can't really give you a definitive answer around how I see it all. It just wow. it is everything all at once. Yeah, and I agree. It's it's pretty challenging to try and come up with an answer for all of this anyway, no matter yeah. what. But I do like what you said though, that it is a rising capacity for all of us, either collectively, and to create a better collective, you know, it means becoming a better individual to be a part of that collective and so again I guess it comes back to that self-responsibility is what I'm hearing that we cannot you can't get everyone else to fix you or heal you it actually is an inside job and would you say well from your experience then if we've been at rock bottom we've come through a challenge we've also got a collective energy around us or there's challenges around us how the hell does someone go and get help? Where do you get that help from? If your tribe all thinks the same and thinks we're doomed and gloomed or thinks there's no hope or thinks this is the way we should do it, how does someone who's feeling a little different, thinking a little different or wanting something different, what's your guidelines there? Follow that trail. Just follow it. They're already following it if they're already recognising that they're feeling different and and they're recognizing energetically that there's a set you know they can slightly see themselves aside from the collective if that's already happening you just follow that trail more there's no you know it's not like there's a specific shaman to go visit in society anymore is there for that great wisdom we are the shaman if we let ourselves be for ourselves well there comes that self-responsibility where we actually probably have all the answers within but you said you stopped, you literally stopped in order to do that that quiet internal work mm. originally. Mm. And then tell us your story, how you became the amazing coach, mentor, teacher and educator that you are today. What took you from being in that world of pain, stopping, looking within, looking at all the parts and embracing and learning what those parts and roles play to mm. now being able to help others shine their light on their darkness? Oh, gosh. Well, big project. Um, how did I get to where I am now? 
I just started I, I started out by doing radical stuff to get the change happening. So, <laughs> you know, I mean, there's never any, yeah, it's not like I did something subtly. I went to some pretty hardcore personal retreats and, you know, got the wham, bam, thank you, ma'am treatment so that it, it just fully knocked me off the path I was on and I got bashed onto another one. That was how I needed to do it though. You know, that was my way. It was I was just so pissed off and so tired of the old way of being. I was ready to launch into a totally different place. Um, So for me, it was the decision to do something radical and do it, do it with 200% of my, you know, gusto and go just get stuck into it. And there were times in between where I had to come home again to self and, and I had to, you know, spend some time, integrating what I'd learned and, you know, then moving through little miniature crises, of course, because I was changing big things really quickly, which meant that there came with it the, you know, the, I guess what people call the identity crisis that can come with some changes. So there was a few of those identity changes and shifts that happened as well. Um, Yeah. I, I went and did some radical stuff really quickly and got it all out of my system. And with the the insights that I'd gained from that and the theoretical teachings and things like that. And just getting with a different crowd, it didn't take me long to decide that I was definitely ready for moving into that or that sort of work, or I was ready to become a leader in something that was along those lines that was very different to anything else that I'd ever done before. I'd been in corporate. There was none of that. So for me to move outside of that and then get into some really cool, hardcore self-development work, um, it, it showed, it showed where I wanted to go and follow. I then just had to follow my own trail through that. I don't, I honestly can't really tell you how I did it. I just followed my trail. I just went with how it felt. I just followed what, what was working at the time and I knew damn well what wasn't working. So it was pretty easy to follow what was. You talk about something quite interesting there as well. We could call the corporate world, um, it could be traditional society. It could be, you know, the real staunch medical world. It could be a re- anything that's really fixed in the way they view the world. And I say that with respect to all of those parts. But there's an element of humanness that has to arrive at some point, which I feel like we're diving into the emotional aspects here. Mm. And as we dive into the mental, emotional, even spiritual realm of this work, did you find for yourself those old circles would poo-hoo it, would knock it, thought you'd lost your marbles? Was there any of that kind of feedback or anything for you that you also had to address as you were learning and growing through what you were going through? Yes, absolutely. If we, I think any person who decides that they want to create change in their life, um, they're going to have an influence on whoever they have in their inner circle. There's absolutely no other way to, you know, see it those people love us for who we were and they don't yet know who we're going to become. So that's a management process through and through. Yeah. And in my family and friendship circle, yes, there was um, the whole, and here we go, here it is again, the full suite, the full suite of all the human aspects, you know, um, it was all there. Some people were terrified for me. Some people were terrified of me and what I was turning into. Some people um, were, you know, concerned that I was changing and they didn't know who they were going to be to me anymore. I lost friends. Um, my relationships with my family were radically transformed. 
Um, I don't see half the family much anymore these days. Um, there was a lot of shifting that happened and there was a lot of, um, I forgot what your original question was, sorry, but yeah, it was, it was about me and I was central to it all and I was influencing everyone around me, which meant that their stuff was coming up as well at the same time. Well, therein lies a typical thing and we could say it in such a way that it's like someone who gives up smoking or maybe gives up drinking and they go back to the pub or the bar or the dinner party and they say, oh, I'm not drinking. And it's like, ah, oh, one drink, you know, and yeah. there's that social influence. It's never about you. It's about them feeling comfortable with mm. who they are and wanting to stay the same way. Mm. You said you've lost family relationships. You've lost friendships. I guess what my question to you then is if you lose something or there's a hole you then get to fill it with what you choose to fill it with if you have a consciousness. Mm. How did you fill those holes and what kind of people did you fill them with? This is cool, actually, because I used to teach on a similar topic to this around how do we refill, how do we fill the gaps that we create in our life when we do shed some skin? And my answer to a lot of people is we simply fill those gaps with more of what we are. So and I, I even used to draw it as a graph. I would draw a, a horizontal line that had the dips in it and the line would continue and there'd be another dip and another continuation and another dip. And each of those dips represents the absence of whatever was there before. And usually when we're moving through a personal development phase, those dips and those empty things represent and the, the absence represents what we've removed from life that wasn't working for us or it could be a friendship that's moved away or anything like that. The, the quickest and simplest way to manage that if we see it as an absence and it's having an impact on us because that's the way we see it and the meaning we're giving to it is to fill it with more of who we are. So if there is an absence in life now where one person used to fill it but we've changed so much that that person no longer contributes or anything like that and we've given them our blessing, we've moved on, then we have no real other choice than to stand and go, well, what do I want to put in this? I want to put more of my own stuff in there of who I'm becoming. I want to maybe fill it with a person who I'm going to meet in the future who's going to be in a lot more alignment with where I'm at or they're, they're going to represent the person I'm becoming or maybe they've got something exciting. Maybe we fill it with a hobby that we suddenly discover because we've let go of enough of our shit to recognise that there's things that we can follow in our heart that give us joy every day or whatever. It could be filled with bloody anything. Or some people just choose to leave it as an absence and then let that absence just be absorbed and we're just creating simplicity in life. So, yeah, that's I, I like that one. When I first sort of came up with that bit of a theory just to sort of explain to people that you don't actually have to fill those things, but you can if you want to, that shift, I, I piggybacked on that and that shifted a lot for me where I recognised I wasn't suddenly a big cube of cheese with all the holes in it like it was some detrimental thing the holes were representing all the possibility now. It didn't mean that I'd lost anything. Yeah, so powerful. I want to ask you this question then. Do you believe then that we are influenced by the top five people we spend our most time with? And if yes or no, how do we change that to fill those holes, those absences, those places? I mean, the reason I'm asking this is... Um, Sometimes we have family members that we love. We love our family, but we know 
that they're not necessarily aligned with or perhaps give us the best feeling or maybe even vice versa. We push their, we push buttons for them. How do you manage the absence, say, of nurturing as a child? Um, how do we fill that as an adult or vice versa? By you, know, you know what I'm asking, don't you? <laughs> I think so. It's a process of learning. I don't think it's not a, it's not a gumball machine. You're not going to put your 20 cents in and get out the answer. You've got to decide one, is this something worthwhile pursuing so that I can learn from it? Um, if there is an absence of a person, there is a process of grieving. Um, I think it's important to remember that as humans, we are going to grieve anything that has been for us in the past, if it's now gone before we can move forward and, and embrace whatever it is that's coming for us. Um, I think it's about remembering, re-recognising always that there is a process to everything. It's We're not going to be handed an answer that we're looking for straight away. We've got to go on and discover that for ourselves. Yeah. Yes, I think that's a really perfect answer because sometimes what was missing in our childhood or even parts of our adulthood we the beauty of becoming an adult and doing it with wisdom and grace and courage and strength and positivity and honoring the shadow sides of us is that we get to choose and I think that's something you've made really clear today is that it becomes our choice rather than thinking this is all I've got or this is what I have to put up with and so for someone who is perhaps transitioning and coming through this process, but they've still got a family that triggers the hell out of them or there's members in their work environment that triggers the heck out of them. Then what's how do we deal with those situations that we feel are outside uncontrollables? It's a tough one. I think it's about, um, first of all, recognising and validating that, yes, it is a challenge and it's something, again, that has to be worked through. There's... Um, yeah, we, we, it's, we're not going to get, there's no destination here for any of this. So we're always in that process. Um, it's, yeah, there's no, there is no clear cut pathway. We're going to learn and cut the pathway at the same time. If we're not happy with that, if we're not satisfied with that, that's where we've got to go internal and say, well, is there like, in all honesty, is there another way to do it? If there is, great. If someone if someone discovers there's another way to do all of this, go for it, and I'd love to hear about it. <laughs> but for the most part, you, we we've got to sit in process. We we need to be sitting in a place where we're aware of all the processes happening at the same time. Mm, that's this, a challenge. We are. That's that's what we are. We're where how many bazillion different processes happening all at once. So everything is managed like a process. Mm. I think then if. if if that's the case and we have these outside influences that do push our buttons or do, one of the things that I've learned from you is rather than looking outwards and blaming that person or saying, why did they do that? Or who do they think they are? Whatever it is that we might be triggered in us. I love the question of why am I feeling this way mm. and going that way rather than looking out that's something you seem to have, and I'll say honestly and with respect, you've you've mastered that beautifully. 
how could you teach us? Tell us the process on how to ask ourselves the question. Let's just say Uncle Frank's arrived at the Christmas party and he's a pain in the butt and he's awful and he's rude and he's all of these things. And normally you just want to say something. What would happen? What would Sean do in those situations? What happens in her head in order for her to embrace and allow all to be as it should be? I go straight to the question of what do I need right now? What do I need right now most? If I'm if I'm triggered by Frank, God bless him, hey? There's one for every party. If I'm if Frank triggers me, it's my shit that's been triggered. There's no no doubt about that. What do I need most right now? If I'm sitting at a family table or a, a table full of Franks, <laughs> one two there's oh there's so many things. I am Frank. There's all those aspects are in me, right? So I can turn it on just like Frank does. Frank needs something that he's not getting as well. That's why he's a grumpy old bugger. And in those moments when I'm faced with that, I remind myself that it's cool to say, what do I need right now? Do I need to be away from this energy? If that's the case, I can move away. I'm taking risks. I'm not going to sit there and judge Frank because there's nothing I can do about Frank. I am going to sit there and I'm going to just check inwards and I'm going to check in with the parts of me too because some parts, there's a part of me that's going to be running the criticism story on Frank. There's also a part of me deep down that understands that Frank is moving through the same shit that I do in life. <laughs> He's just expressing his stuff on his platter of goods and I'm expressing mine. Um, and then there's also a part of me that's like the wise self that says, all right, well, you know, we're all, uh, we're all here. I need something different than this. I'm going to be the one who moves away and gets that for myself or I'm, I'm going to prioritise me in this. Now, this the thing here that a lot of sometimes I've explained that to people um, and they've gone away and put it into action, but they've kind of done a bit of a pendulum swing. They've gone from never saying anything at all and copping the shit and getting triggered and sitting there silently spewing about it to swinging right out and being very almost aggressive and saying what they damn well think, putting Frank to shame and basically shitting all over the family gathering. And it's really turned to something that they didn't intend to, but what do you do with it now that it's all blown up? The thing here is to be at neither end of the spectrum but to be somewhere in the middle. It's okay to go, look, this is not for me, I'm going to move away. It's okay to say, all right, well, Frank's clearly sitting in his shit and that's his right now and I don't need to take it on. But it's also important to recognise that if we want to swing out and you know go to an extreme, that that could cause potential damage for the people that we're around. So this is about self-management. You don't have to manage anyone else. It's just self. And self-responsibility is huge when it comes to that. And I also love to ask myself, why am I being triggered? Like you said, like, what is it that I need to see? And I love that line that one of our teachers says, people will be who they need to be so you can see what you need to see. And often what's what's really worked for me over the years is actually looking at the situation with Frank and, um, as a beautiful movie and a script and an opportunity to change the ending or to change the outcome for me, viewing it or being a part of that. So I really want to acknowledge you for that because I think that's one of the greatest tools we could ever embrace in yeah. how to act when being triggered. Um, I'd love to ask you this question. You have been through many highs and lows. You've you've got a beautiful mind that is now full of curiosity and expansiveness and creativity and you just I don't know you just fire me up whenever I'm around you and we both feed off each other I know that and you have such an amazing energy to get shit done I think is one of your amazing qualities 
How does Shan switch off? What does Shan do when she's on the opposite side of that energy of just getting out there and totally being on form and teaching and giving and giving and giving? How does someone like you recharge? I crash. I crash in a good way. <laughs> we talk about crashing like it's the bad thing. I do. I crash. I There's one thing that I say to people a lot when they ring, what are you doing? I am literally upside down on the couch right now staring at a TV. I do nothing. I will go to nothing town. Um, I'm a mad, mad music buff. Like I just, like any type of music is mine. I've always got music playing. So music keeps me going. Um, I disappear into movies. I'll disappear into cooking. I just live a very, when I'm not out doing the Shan thing, I'm very quiet. I don't do a lot. Um, I keep things very, um, safe and secure at home to give me that place where I can go to, to rest and to recuperate. And, um, I'm aware of where I swing out. And sometimes when I am super inspired or motivated by something, all my energy will go into that. I don't, I don't need to have a, um, you know, when you, I don't know what I'm looking for a bit of an analogy, sometimes we can put limiters on things so that we don't get massive pulses or massive surges with the way that my energy flows and ebbs and, you know, moves around. I tend to pulse and I tend to have big surges and then that'll be followed up by something where I'm quite silent and, and quite very quiet for a little while. It just seems to be my natural way of doing things. So when I'm not, um, sitting in creation, when I'm not sitting in, um, you know, the coaching uh, role, when I'm not sharing and teaching and all those things, I'm actually not doing much to counteract all of that. Yeah. I, I go to, I go in internal and I stay there, but I don't continue much work. I just kind of rest. I really like that. And I think it's so powerful. Again, it's the extreme, isn't it? If we're going to be full on one way, we have to acknowledge and honor, we need to replenish at the other end, or like you said, be a little bit more in the middle. But what about the busy dad that's working 16-hour days or the mum that's got three kids and we know she's full on or he's full on, they're giving and giving, they're doing and doing. Are you saying then we can do that like in micro moments? It's just having an awareness of giving yourself five minutes of breathing space, maybe before walking in the house. What tips would you give the, the, the ultimately the person who really is busy and responsible for other people as well. In all honesty, Kim, I wouldn't give them any tips. And the reason why is because each person is the expert on their life. And if they, if someone said to me, what do I do? I'm working 16 hours a day. You know, I've got kids, et cetera, et cetera. I would be saying to them, well, what is it that you recognize that you need most? If you're coming to me telling me that you're working 16 hours a day and you've got kids and you run off your feet, and you're then saying to me that you want to learn how to unwind or how to stop or how to balance all of that, only you know the answer to, to even what even balance means or looks like for you. Some people need 10 hours sleep a night, others don't. They might only need six hours sleep a night. Who am I to decide how much time or downtime they need? My job is to help them reflect on their life and, and how they have it set up and to remind them that there is a flexibility in that, that they can have it set up any way they want. Sometimes we, as you know, we, we feel like we're locked into something, but we're actually not. We can change at any time. So my, my advice or my tips would be to 
ask yourself what the answer is because I don't need to give it to them. They've already got it. Yeah. A very big part of honouring oneself and actually asking yourself is to care for yourself, is to honour who you are. And that is really self-love and self-care at its best, knowing that you have those answers within you. What is your definition of self-love? My definition of self-love is to accept all of me. And I mean all of me. Um, to love and nurture and provide space for expression of all the different parts of who I am. As an example to, um, you know, the last few months for me, just moving through the winter period of this year, I've been feeling a bit of a seasonal down. I've been sitting in a little bit of depression. Um, I moved through my own phases. You know, I'd be lying if I said that I'm not experiencing a bit of darkness in my life right now. Um, I let it have its space. I, it's like if we're all sitting in a hall and there's a stage up front and there's a microphone, I let the whole lot of me, whatever my parts are, I let them all get up there and say what they need to say and express what needs to be expressed. That's self-love to me. I don't, I'm not into suppressing myself any further in my life. The idea here is to let all of my parts express themselves. That is self-love, is letting that happen. So powerful. And one of the things we said off air before we came onto this was that you're in a time in your life right now where you're sitting with your whole self. I understand that you're talking about the parts of you, but your whole self also extends into your home, your community, your environment, and the collective uh, wholeness of sitting with self. How would you describe then for you um, that is the best way to sit with your whole self? Is that resting? Is that what you're talking about there? Or is it to do more inquiry? Or is it to get coaching? Or is it to, how do you manage this dark space apart from giving yourself the space and time to go through it? I must admit lately it, it's been a process of go by feel. So some sometimes, and I am in that phase at the moment, it is a day-to-day -day thing. Um in, and it can include any one of the things you just mentioned. Some days I'll wake up and I'll know in my knowing, in my knowingness of knowings, that today's a great day for me to get in touch with one of our colleagues and do us, you know, do some clearing work where I might have an emotion that's sitting in my nervous system. And I'm like, yeah, I can want to get that out. Other days it's a choice and a whole conscious choice to actually sit with it and do nothing else to just let it ride out, let it play out. Other days it's, no, I'm going to do a lot of self-nurturing today and that could mean, you know, cooking a beautiful meal. It could be 20 minutes standing under the hot water of a shower because for no other reason than it just feels relieving. So it for me it can be anything. It could be everything. Uh, I don't put any main rules around at all. I just let it express itself as best it wants to. So powerful. One of the most amazing things that you and I have experienced, not only in our training with our masters in NLP, timeline, hypnotherapy, and all the beautiful modalities, plus all the other coaching and education that you've done, but one of the things that you and I have always said is how much we learn by being in the support role, the supporting teachers to teach the stuff or supporting new students to come through. What do you think the epiphany there for you and how is that metaphorically symbolic to who we are today in being the observer by teaching from that space? What's the question there, Kim? Just repeat that one for me. 
how do you find the teaching and being in that space so powerful? You and I have both discussed it, that Mm. learning sometimes by observing other people learning Mm. is actually one of the greatest things. And then even greater than that, and I can say this as a parent, as a corporate, as a as a leader, as a coach, whatever, one of the greatest ways that we can learn is actually by teaching it. So, or being that example. And Mm. so I guess my question is, how have you managed to see that that has been so powerful for you? And if it is, how can you bring even more to that, of that to your world? Uh, Yes, I get you now. It's every time, whenever I'm speaking in as with my coach's hat on, so we're in session, the words that are coming out of my mouth, they're like, they're coming from the coach part. The rest of my parts are hearing it. So there, it's, there's a piggybacking effect that happens. So it doesn't, any time that I'm sharing any of my knowledge or wisdom, anytime I'm listening to anyone else, I'm, you know, we're getting the pig, I'm getting the piggyback effect. I'm the one who's sitting in the coaches, you know, in the client chair. I'm the one who's doing this session. The person in front of me, yeah, they're, <laughs> they've, they've come along and they're having a great time and they're learning about themselves as well. But what's happening for me internal is I'm hearing it all again over and over and over. And that's cementing the good shit in my system. That's cementing all that I know about myself, which changes anyway, but I'm cementing all the, the good stuff I want to keep out of that. It's just getting tucked away into my, you know, growing bag of, of strengths and insights and wisdom and knowledge and all the things that I love about who I know me to be and the world to be. Every time I'm working with someone, I'm actually just working with me. Mm. I think that could be said for every conversation we ever have. And I also love the fact that one thing that we've both learned a lot is the power in listening and asking more questions so that we get more clarity about that person or that child or that human or that partner. And I think that's something that I've really appreciated in the teachings that we've had with our beautiful teachers. Um, Would you say that out of all of the modalities that you've learned, all of the teachings so far, I'm sure there's many, many more to come. What would you say has been the greatest tool that you've added to your coaching repertoire? The greatest tool, my favorite thing in the whole world is timeline therapy. It's for it for me personally, if I'm going to do a swap with someone or if I'm work, you know, doing the work myself, I request it from anyone that I do choose to work with. If I've got some stuff I want to clear off my chest, um, it, I don't know. For me, it just is the thing. It's the go-to. I can, I can experience a cognitive shift and I can experience a nervous system shift at the same time. And it just works. It's just, it's just so powerful that it creates a permanent change in, in my, in who I am and in, in my neurology. And I think because I believe so much in it and because I rely on it and I use it and I just, I've experimented with it myself. Um, anything that I work with, with my clients, I've done myself, um, because I have so much belief in that when I bring that to the coaching room and I'm supporting someone else to let go of something or to move through massive negative emotions or heal trauma or anything like that. Um, my belief in it also adds to their experience of it. It's powerful. Yeah. And it just creates such a instant change within minutes that, you know, the back in the day when I was doing, you know, the counseling chair and I was sitting in psychologist's office, I'd go for two years 
seeing them once a month and getting absolutely bloody nowhere. And these days it really is true, despite what many would believe, that we can experience a massive release of emotion and a whole new view on life and what's possible in as little as one session. Now that stuff, you know, where was all of that when I needed it? But, you know, I found it when I needed to, obviously. Um, but how different things would, might be if I was, you know, experiencing the powerful effects of timeline therapy when I was 18, 19. But then again, would 18 or 19-year-old me have gone? Probably not. <laughs> Probably <laughs> That's where I, I so love and appreciate. Everything is as it is meant to be. And uh, I think if it is up to you to change and you're hearing this, you know, for the first time, then this possibly could be something that would be so powerful for you too. Just for someone who's never heard of timeline therapy, give us a quick mm. synopsis of it. Um, it is a way to uh, open up your perspective on something. Uh, it's, I don't know, It's isn't it a funny thing? I mean, Kim, you've experienced as well. What is happening when we're doing that? It's like we can show, we're shining the light on the pathways of perception that we normally can't see for ourselves. Our, you know, what, especially if we're looking back at an event, say, for example, or a traumatic event in life, it has a lot of emotion tied to it, has a lot of meaning tied to it. Um, there can be a big fallout associated with that. Timeline therapy allows us to go back and see it from a, a number of different angles. And it's in that work that the nervous system catches on and, and releases the one way of seeing it and it can just adopt seeing it in many different phases. Just moving through a cognitive you know, process and exercise just like that can have profound effects. I don't know the science behind it. I don't need to. I know it works and I know that it's transformed my life and it can transform, transform someone else's just as quickly. So powerful. And add into that a little bit of hypnotherapy or some sort of beautiful linguistic kind of um, hypnotic words and you all of a sudden feel like, well, in my humble opinion, it's not that I feel possessed. It's almost like I feel like I'm being held in a cloud. There's just, yeah. there's nowhere to go except feel completely cocooned, but so light and and you're right. I think that's a really powerful part to remember. We don't have to understand the hows and the whys. If you trust the coach or the person who's doing this, you allow your unconscious mind to be guided by their skill and their belief, then the freedom is <laughs> its mind-blowing. I have seen physiological shifts, cognitive shifts, behavioral shifts in one session for someone, the lightness, the clarity in their eyes, the the, I don't have to carry this anymore kind of look. It's yeah. almost like they've let that bag of baggage and they've left yeah. it there. And I think one of the things that we were taught is we can have scars in life, but they don't have to hold us back or determine or program who we are today. And one of the things that I'd love us, I know you and I could talk forever, but the unconscious mind, you know, we were taught that it knows everything. It actually understands and perceives everything. How have you allowed yourself to trust yourself and that universal unconscious knowing? You even said it before, the knowingness of knowing that. How have you learned to trust that when you scientifically or cognitively or mentally cannot actually explain it? How did I learn to trust it? Oh, I, I see myself as being quite fortunate that I was born 
with just knowing in my belly. I've always known things or could preempt things before time or um, I just trust. I've always known that that was my go-to. That was my default for telling me whether something's a a go or whether it's a no-go. I just get it. I am highly emotionally driven. I trust my emotions. Um, Yeah, it's I'm at a bit of a blank. It, you just know. <laughs> you, <laughs> know? you can't articulate it. I know because you just know. And sometimes you just know, you know. Like, I yeah. just love the fact that sometimes we actually cannot explain this and doesn't really need an explanation. And if you're sitting I there. I think that's the cool thing there. I was, I was about to say, I don't know how to answer this, Kim, but that is the answer, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Which I love. I love so much. Mm. Um, you and I met through this work and mm. we've met a lot of incredible people, some of who I have interviewed on here. Do you think there's a certain type of person drawn to this work? And if so, what's your thoughts around that? Certain types of people drawn to it. Perhaps yes, yes. I think um, I think that there are many people who want to change and don't, and that's a choice, and that's okay. Whether it's out of fear or, or whatever it is that that prevents them from perhaps tap, you know, putting their foot in the water and giving it a go. Um, the people who I find come across my inquiry desk. Uh, people who want to change and then they have a daring just to put their foot in the water. That daring is a an aspect of them that probably distinguishes them from the rest. Do we dare to take a foot forward and actually see what it feels like? Do we Do we dare to take a leap? Do we dare to reach out and find out something about maybe something that intrigued us? Do we dare to make it known that we want to change? and potentially risk the opinions of other people in that, you know, like what we were talking about before. Um, I think the thing that separates people who do decide to do some work on themselves or do, you know, decide to reach out and seek the help of someone is that there is a strong sense of understanding themselves and knowing they, they have to be that change. You've got to take that step. Uh, so there, there's a daring in it, isn't there? Do I dare? Yeah. I love it. And I loved what you said a little while back where sometimes that daring and dabbling and putting your foot in there, you realize the monster is not as big as and as scary as we originally thought. And right. in fact, to honor and embrace all of that, the monster part of us and the part of us that has a darkness to it. And as you've already alluded to, we all have all of these parts. Hmm. Then the sooner we can get to embrace and love those parts, there's also an element of, I don't like to say forgive, because I guess to forgive ourselves means we've made ourselves wrong to forgive that. But I mean, allow ourselves, allow ourselves to be that. If there was one piece of advice as we come to the close of this for the beautiful self-love podcast listener, what would you say to the beautiful soul listening to this right now? To the beautiful soul listening to this right now, you were born with a full spectrum of ex- of potential expression, whether that's expressing the darkness or expressing the light or anywhere in between. So if you're feeling like you're bottled up, if you're feeling like you don't know who you are anymore, if you're feeling disconnected or you feel like you have no voice, 
more often than not, I find with just with the people I've worked with and, and just through my own study of my own self, it'll be because there's you're not expressing one or more parts of who you are. We're born to express it, not suppress it. And the journey begins by opening up a call of inquiry with self and saying, well, what is it that I have been expressing and what is it that I haven't? And I think that's that delivers a clarity bomb that gets a lot of people moving pretty quickly where they recognise, you know, my God, I have not been saying what I wanted to be saying in life or I haven't been following that that calling to go and do that thing. It's a form of suppression. So we, you know, we live in a society that encourages us to suppress a lot of ourselves. I'm encouraging you to see that society there, but in your world, allow yourself to express what needs to be expressed. Just give yourself that opportunity and that permission to do that. So powerful, so amazing. And I'd love to know if anyone wanted to follow you, reach out to you, make that discovery call with you. I guarantee you there'll be people listening to this going, she's who I need. There's no accident that you're listening to this right now. So how could someone reach out to you, Gorgeous? Um, The quickest way to find me would be to um, probably visit my website, www.thinkcoaching.online. Think Coaching and Hypnotherapy can be found online. It's on on Facebook. We have an Instagram account. Um, It's there's two of us, so I've partnered up with a dear friend of mine and colleague, and we operate Think Coaching um, to anyone in Australia and overseas. We offer a free inquiry call. You can have a chat. You can come along to our free fortnightly Think Night In, which is a great way to get a little taste of uh, group coaching and just concepts that you can apply instantly in your life. So, yeah, come find me online or ask Kim. Kim knows how to put you in touch with me. <laughs> <laughs> And I will definitely put all of those links into the show notes. Thank you. And you know how much I love you dearly and how much we both love learning, love our journey and our time together. You shine a light on me that I find incredibly liberating and powerful. You also know the parts of me that don't always shine so bright and don't always believe in myself, but it's so lovely to have friends, colleagues, other women, other people in your corner that understand this work and really, really love all parts of us. And I just want to publicly thank you for everything you do with and for me. And to finish up, my dear friend, I would love to ask you, what is your favorite quote right now? What is something that's really lighting your fire in the quote world? My favorite, favorite quote is one that I discovered at a visit to um, a circus who's a Cirque du Soleil on one of their t-shirts out in the foyers years ago, we rise by lifting each other. Now for them, it was in the context of being, you know, an acrobatic performer, we rise by lifting each other. But when we think about it, we rise individually by lifting each other, by lifting those around us, by having them lift us. So it's a collective lifting exercise. That's how we rise. I love that so much. Beautiful, Sean. Thank you so much for being on the Self Love Podcast. You're an angel. You're someone we all absolutely adore. And I just want to say thank you. Mm, Thank you, Kimmy. It's always a pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Self Love Podcast. 
Be sure to write a review and share the love with your friends and family. And head over and visit Kim and her team at 28.com. That's the word 20 and the number 8.com. Take good care. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.